Are you tired of the endless stream of fantasy marketing and vanity metrics? Yeah, so am I. My name is James Patrick, and I'm an internationally published photographer, media specialist, and marketing strategist. I'm also a student of professional development, and like you, I've been left frustrated by all of this influencer-driven generic advice making us think that we are just one course, conference, or manifestation away from the life of our dreams. We need to cut through this crap and move beyond the posturing, beyond the facade, beyond the image to take real action on the real work that will create the real results. This is the Beyond the Image podcast. What is going on? And thank you so much for tuning into this, our latest episode of the Beyond the Image podcast. I'm your host, James Patrick. And the topic we're going to be diving into today is one that comes up a lot as I'm working with clients and it comes up a lot in our events. And that's when I'm talking to our audience and we're talking about anything from the the language and the copy they're using on their websites, on their sales pages, uh, but also the language they're using in their media pitches as they're trying to propose their ideas, their brands, their their services to uh, potential uh, magazines they're trying to reach, to podcasts they're trying to get featured on, to articles that they wish to write. And it has become unfortunately and, and unnecessarily complicated for for so many of us to write compelling copy or copy that persuades our target audience. So that is what we're going to be diving into today. And my guest is Scott Kieser. He is the writing guy himself. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm fine, James. Uh, very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Appreciate you jumping Good. on. So um, let's let's start with a little bit of your background. What was it that made you realize that copy was something that you really wanted to hone your focus on? Um, sure. I mean, it sort of, it depends how far, how far back you want to go back really, because um, when I was six, I, I wrote a, uh, an essay when I was at primary school called I am a shoe, um, where I kind of imagined what it was like being on the end of somebody's foot. Mm -hmm. And then I think I got kicked off and, I ended up in a gutter and swept out to sea, probably deeply Freudian. But um, I, I think, to be honest with you, I've been in love with the English language for as long as I can remember. Um, I mean, in terms of my adult engagement with writing and this amazing language of ours, it, it really kicked off um, when I was in Australia. Uh, I was going out with an Australian girl at the time and I'd gone over there to, to spend some time with her. And um, I bludged my way into a PR company, a very small PR company in Melbourne, who were looking for a copywriter. And I'd never done any copywriting before, but I realised that um, I was good at it. I made quite good money. I enjoyed it. And it just sort of came naturally to me. And after a couple of years in Australia, I came back to London, which is uh, where I'm born and bred, and I came back with a portfolio of work and and got some really interesting work with a, a contract publishing house in Soho, in uh, the creative centre of London. Um, and, and then kind of fast forward to about 2004, uh, I met a very interesting, brilliant copywriter called Andy Maslin, uh, another Brit like me. And together we uh, we formed a partnership 
And in fact, our very first uh, writing training gig, because we set up a writing training company called Write for Results, which is is my company now. Um, our first training gig was in a snowbound New York City to staff of the Economist Group, and I think it was West Fifty Seventh Street, and and that was in I think that was the fourth of January two thousand and four, and we ended up training staff of the Economist for a decade. And that, as you can imagine, when you tell people you train staff of the Economist, that opened up lots of doors for us. And we ended up working together for about eight years and really honed our one day writing workshop, um, which in a way took me took me away from copywriting and and made me realize that uh, besides the English language, I, I also love teaching and training. Mm. And so by doing both, I was. Uh, I, I was just incredibly fulfilled and and Andy left the company in I'm trying to remember now it was 2012 I think and I've been running it since then and uh, built a huge client base and in fact in the last year so this is a recent development uh, I have I consider that I've finally nailed a writing system that anybody can benefit from that can improve literally anybody's writing sometimes in as little as 90 minutes and i'm i'm happy to share uh, more of that with you you know uh, on this podcast but that that's that's a kind of real a, bre- a real truncated uh, version of my cv you know sure we're taking you know several decades of experience and condensing yeah. it into into three minutes yeah uh, so I, my background was as a journalist and you know uh, reporting the news i never had the luxury of dealing with writer's block or mm-hmm. or, or struggling to to put words on paper mm-hmm. deadlines did not permit yeah. this sure. and and mm-hmm. sometimes it was shit but it, so, mm-hmm. something always had to go to to press so mm-hmm. i've never been terribly shy about putting words on paper but mm-hmm. yet that is a struggle that mm-hmm. comes up so often for yeah. for my clients for listeners of this show which yeah. is you know y- you ask them to describe something and they have no problem talking about it we say okay yeah. write what you do on paper yeah. and panic sets in why why all of a sudden is copywriting so paralyzing for for so many of us who we don't have a problem saying what we do yeah. but yeah. we have a problem communicating it in written sure words. It's it, you know you raise a very fundamental point there, James, and 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 I haven't really got to the bottom of this. Um, what I do know is that in a business context, and and I work predominantly in professional services, so I work with law firms, accountancy firms, architecture practices, uh, engineering consultancies. I even trained a bunch of scientists the the other week, and what seems to happen is that. When somebody who is highly educated and and very good at what they do and technically proficient and professional, when they're called upon to put something down in writing, to put something on paper, put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, it's as if something takes over that says, this has to be uber professional, this has to be very formal, this has to be a different style of writing from speaking something takes over and it's very very common and it's a complete myth 
I refer to actually as the myth of professionalism, capital M, capital P, and, and a number of, this myth of professionalism brings in its wake a number of unhelpful mindsets. And one is that I have to show people how clever I am. Mm. I have to showcase my expertise, you know, whether or not that's relevant to the reader. Um, the, the, other, the other thing that they equate with professionalism, quote unquote, is the need to use uber formal language. So what I refer to as high register language. So you, you end up using long, fancy polysyllabic words. So you use purchase instead of buy. Uh, you say terminate instead of end or finish. You use the word request where ask would, would do just as well or depart instead of leave. And there seems to be this compulsion that drives people to use needlessly formal language and that gets in the way of their communication and so you're you're absolutely right that and and um i i at this point uh, i often quote what um peter elbow interesting name uh, a brilliant writer on writing said in one of his books i i've got it on my bookshelf here he said we need to use the skill that we find easiest in other words speech to help us with the skill that we find hardest, in other words, writing. So there is something about vocalizing and verbalizing what we're trying to put in the written word. Uh, that's very powerful. And so, you know, when I'm working with clients or training them, whatever, I say, what are you trying to, what are you trying to say here, literally? What are you trying to say in the written word? And I get them to vocalize it. And nine times out of 10, they say, well, listen, Scott, what I really mean is da, 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 and it's just beautiful and clear and eloquent. And I say to them, write that. That's mm. your first draft, you know, and then they're off and running. It's it's funny. I really think you hit the nail on the head. I uh, after working as a journalist, I spent um, the better part of a decade doing marketing. Uh, primarily in professional services for architecture and engineering. Okay. And it was my job to take engineering writing and turn it into something legible hmm. uh, by and understandable. <laughs> by, by, <laughs> I mean, I, I think at some point we came up with a list of words that we we're asking our team to stop using. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's been a number of years. So I don't remember. I remember the one word that comes to mind is the word usage. I got really mm -hmm. pissed off that they kept using the word usage. Sure. I'm like, just say use. Yeah, like, absolutely. Stop, stop using usage. Well, um, well and, the, and the big one, and just to build on that, you know, one of the, I call these SOWs actually, S-O-W, severely overused words. Mm -hmm. And there are five or six that I come across all the time. Uh, in no particular order, they are uh, utilize instead of use. That, that's what it was. Utilize. Yeah, utilize. Um, significant, which just means big or important. Um, so, you know, if it's okay for The Economist to use the word big, that's fine by me. Uh, strategic, committed, you know, everybody's committed to, to doing something brilliant. Whereas true, commi true commitment is really very, very rare. Um, focus is so overused in business writing. And the biggest one, the biggest bar none is key. Everything is key. Key experience, key objective, key player, key director you know, key goal, everything is key. And there, there are hundreds of hundreds of synonyms for the word key in the English language, you know. <laughs> it's, it's funny, because now I'm 
I'm reflecting on every email I've sent out in the last week and wondering <laughs> if I use the word key in it, key metrics. I'm sure I'm sure I use key metrics yeah, yeah. or key performance indicators. Um, I, I actually got challenged by a client because I the word I overuse is value. Mm-hmm. And to me, I know what it means. I know mm-hmm. what I'm what I'm implying when I say mm-hmm. create sure. and offer value. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like bullshit when you hear it for a thousand mm-hmm a thousand mm-hmm. times so, and it's like yeah. okay so let's let's redefine this mm-hmm. or and mm-hmm. rephrase it and it, mm-hmm. you know now i'm forcing myself to use the term solving clients problems sure. as opposed to as opposed to value but yeah i i absolutely love I, and, and in fact sorry can i just can i just respond Please. to that james because that's that, that is another interesting point you raise which is um for me this is the this is the difference between emoting and evoking and i'll explain what what i mean by that when we say you know we're going to deliver loads of value that is a form of emoting whereas if you if i read in your words that you were going to come into my office and shadow me for five days in order to really understand my business then you were going to read everything that's ever been written about incredibly compelling landing pages and then you were going to devote yourself for the next three months to helping my business generate more warm leads. You don't need to use the word value because I'm saying in my head, my God, this guy is going to give me huge value. And that's evoking that feeling rather than emoting it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, what's interesting as, as I've been thinking this through is how I think we are writing as as we're attempting to convey emotion and meaning to to mm. our audience is not how we want to read content mm. in the sense that like when i go to someone's sales page for example and it's just filled with over embellished language it doesn't work for me mm, doesn't sure. impress me but yet mm. when i go to write a sales page that's what i'm <laughs> emulating the exact exactly. thing that doesn't work on me as yeah. as a consumer and as a reader i think that's mm. such sure. an interesting so why why do you think you do that i i think it's what you said though mm. i think well i'm just going to assume that that person figured it out that mm-hmm. they obviously know what they're doing because it sounds impressive mm-hmm. so i just need to mm-hmm. sound impressive and you know mm-hmm. add in you know a big dash of imposter syndrome and i feel like i have mm-hmm. to emulate what i'm seeing elsewhere and that mm-hmm. i can't just say this is what i do for you in, mm-hmm. in very yeah. plain language mm-hmm. yeah sure and, and the other thing is writers that we need to bear in mind is that you know we when we're writing, when we're authoring something, we are giving that task generally 100% of our brain power, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And we assume that, that the same applies to our reader, but that ain't the case. You're lucky if your reader is going to give your copy 75% of their brain power because they've got so many other things going on and they're not as emotionally invested in your copy as you are, as you are as the writer. So I think that that's another misconception that we as copywriters have to have to address that is a very very important point and not even one i considered but you're absolutely right i mean even even in this format here of podcasting podcasting is is a passive medium mm. and sure. uh, you know it's like reading you you can do other things while while reading but mm. You you do have to use your your eyesight. You have to hold mm. the hold whatever it is you're mm. reading. Uh, it does require more attention, not 100 percent as as mm. you as you put out. But podcasting, mm. 
Hey, I'm lucky if I get 25% of people's yeah. attention, they're sure. driving, they're, they're working out yeah. they're yeah. they're they're at their office working and I'm playing mm. in the background. Cool. So if I think someone's going to hang on to every single word, I'm, mm. I, and, and I spend you're, so much you're time laboring under a delusion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That is so yeah. important. Yeah. What are, you know, that, so that's a big misconception we have mm. about crafting copy. Are there other misconceptions or mistakes that we make in just framing what we think mm. about the creation of copy? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, in no particular order, uh, one of the most common syndromes that I see is what I affectionately refer to as weeing all over your reader in corporate sense. You know, we're, we're ABC Corporation. We're great at this. We do that. We've done this. We could do that for you. It's all about us. So the, the words that predominate are we, us and our, and I call that weeing all over the reader. And that instantly is going to turn the reader off. And it's based on a psychological principle called implicit egotism that we, because we're more interested in ourselves probably than, than, than anything else, mm -hmm. we, we assume that we are going to be of brilliant interest, compelling interest to the reader. And of course, that's another misconception. So we need to make uh, the emotional shift. And it's ironic because this is less about writing skills and this is more about mindset and emotional intelligence. So the best writers shift from being uh, writer-centric to being reader-centric and making it all about the reader. And therefore, when, automatically and necessarily when we do that, the words that are gonna predominate in our copy are you and your, and the name of the, the, the client and their organization. And if that's the balance, the ratio, I mean, I rather sort of, it's slightly sort of pseudo-scientific, but. I kind of advise my clients to try and use you and your three times as often as uh, I, we or us, because that forces you to write more about the, the reader, the recipient. And if you're struggling to do that, then that tells me one thing, which is that you don't know enough about your reader or your client or your prospect. And that, and that is an incredibly common uh, problem or failing. I remember... Um once again, hearkening back to my marketing job, I had this amazing VP and what he would do is he would take all of our proposals and he would put them into those word clouds that prioritize the the size of the word based on how many, how many times it's used. Yeah. And if we were using flowerly language or mm. I, or we, or the, mm. our own company name, mm. if that was predominant and we're seeing it mm. by the size of the word over the client's name or you or your right. mm. he'd have us rewrite the mm. rewrite the right. deck because yeah. our focus was wrong so yeah mm. and, and as we we care about ourselves you know because mm. as, as you said that implicit ego so does the reader mm. they care about uh, themselves absolutely yes yeah totally totally and and you know in my experience one of the best ways of engaging your reader is to show them in your copy that you really understand their pain, whatever their pain is, whether they're struggling with their business because they're not generating enough leads or they're worried about a major merger or acquisition falling flat on its face, whatever their pain is, because I do a lot of work with bids, tenders, in bids, tenders, pitches and proposals as well. In my experience, really articulating their pain points such that as they're reading our copy, they're going, yeah, yeah, you know, the, these guys really get me. 
is a is a is just a fail-safe way of engaging, getting their attention, engaging them. And then a way of motivating them to do whatever it is we're asking them to do, which may be to hire us or instruct us or whatever, is to motivate them with the benefits of us helping them remove that pain. So pain engages, but benefits motivate. Is what I'm uh, is what I'm getting at. How would you, because this comes up, how would you define what a benefit is? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people will think, oh, it's a feature, and they just list yeah. out all their features. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, what what separates a benefit? So so uh, yeah, I mean it's a good question. I, I talk about this in my training. So I talk about FAB, FAB, features, advantages, and benefits. So a feature is a neutral property attribute or characteristic of your product or service. And it may or may not matter to the reader or the prospect or the client. That's a feature. An advantage is something that your product or service does that its rivals don't do. So it may be that you have more offices around the world if you're a law firm, or it may be that you specialize more particularly in anti-competition law in Southeast Asia, whatever the, the that's an advantage. And the, then the benefit is a desirable or attractive outcome or result uh, that that is going to accrue that the, the client or the prospect is going to get as a result of you giving them your product or service. So features, advantages and benefits. And I'm sure you're aware, James, and your listeners will probably be aware, but I'll, I'll run it by you anyway. The, the really easy way of converting one into the other, converting features into benefits, is to just challenge them with the, the question, so what? Mm-hmm. And it will be obvious to, to all of you, all of your listeners, when you finally hit the granite bedrock benefit, it will be obvious. So, so what forces you to drill down from the surface feature to the granite bedrock benefit of, of your product or service. But in order to do that, again, it brings us back to the client or the reader. You have to know and understand the client and what they would consider valuable and therefore a benefit. It's like I was thinking, I work so much with people in the health and fitness space now and, mm. you know, like... Mm. A feature would be this is a 12 week program. Mm, sure. Okay. Yeah. So the advantage is while most other trainers only offer nine weeks, mm-hmm. I'm offering a 12 week program. Yeah. And the benefit is because this program is 12 weeks, three months, I am going to be work with you this entire time to see you through the final results. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. however yeah. that, however you want yeah. to conceptualize that. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so it's asking that. So what? Well, so what that it's 12 mm. weeks. Well, mm. So what that exactly. more weeks than anyone else. Okay. Yeah. So we're yeah. getting to the heart of, as you said, the outcome or the result that you're providing. I sense you're rewriting your health and fitness copy out on the hoof there, James. <laughs> sure. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, what I mean, it's so great about this is it doesn't matter how many times you've learned this every time mm. you hear it and, mm. and you, you put it into practice, you peel back another layer of mm. improving sure. copy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It, it, it needs to become so sort of, it needs to be in the kind of ganglia. It needs to become muscle memory, get used, using the health and fitness analogy. 
so that it's second nature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. M moving forward from there, are mm. there any other steps that 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 entrepreneurs should be bearing in mind as they're trying to cultivate this copy? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, my writing system has 15 techniques, five planning, five drafting, five editing. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to go through all 15, but but I could uh, I'm very happy to share a, a clutch of those or a handful sure. of those. Um, so let me take one from from the five planning techniques um, and the and the acronym. So I've come up with three acronyms, uh, each of which summarizes the five techniques in planning drafting and editing and by and by the way those are the three steps obviously of the writing process planning drafting and editing um so one of the one of the so the planning acronym is storm which stands for structure timing objective reader and message and we've already talked about under the r reader we've already talked a little bit about being reader centric and making it all about them the the s is important uh, structure the structure of your copy actually i actually maintain that structure is more important than language because you know why do i say that i say that because no matter how beautifully you write if your reader doesn't know where they are where they're going or where they've been in your copy and you've taken them to topic a and then you've jumped to topic f and then back to b and then on to d and from pillar to post, they're going to stop reading, no matter how beautifully you write. Mm -hmm. The structure is absolutely vital. And, um, you know, when I review a piece of copy, uh, particularly bids and tenders, actually, the, the structure is uh, where it goes kind of woefully wrong. It's just in the wrong order. So there are three elements of structure. I hope this is of interest to your listeners. There's the sheer logical arrangement and the organization of the content so are you presenting the content whatever that may be in a logical rational easy to follow way that's element one the second element of structure is navigation and that's things like that's signposting that's things like topic sentences and subheadings mm. So if your if your reader were to do nothing other than just scan the subheadings, they would get the gist of the document and be able to follow it. So that's navigation, you know, structure aids navigability. And then the third element, which uh, not a lot of people consider, I find on the structure is design, which is the sheer look and feel, the visual interest, uh, the graphic attractiveness of the page or the screen or the, the document if it's a physical document and that's that that includes but is not limited to uh, choice of font mm -hmm. um size of font uh, leading which is the 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 spacing between the lines the margin sizes so within reason the narrower the the, the wider the margin and the narrower the text then you'll know from journalism the easier that is to read because the human eye can take in one, one whole line at a time, mm -hmm. you know, rather than the line width being excessively long, which is is very hard to do that. So structure is is absolutely vital. And I suppose if 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 your listeners were to take one thing away from what I'd say about structure, it, it's this, which is 
it's about leading lead with what most values which so which lead with <laughs> i'll put my teeth in back in in a minute lead <laughs> with what most matters to your reader that may be the major benefit to, to of your product or service that may be your major finding from a survey that may be your chief conclusion from some kind of study it may be their major pain point and this takes us back again to to knowing your client and knowing your reader lead with what most matters to them and that this is about getting to the value fast if you give three pages or three slides or five slides of background and context and the gut of your proposition is only kind of in the middle of the document chances are they will already have stopped reading they won't get there you know they won't make it they'll jump ship uh, so that that's a, that's the the s of storm that's a very important planning technique and um, i'll give you one as well from drafting Mm -hmm. So the drafting acronym, I'm very pleased with this one because it's SCOT, which <laughs> stands for shorten your sentences. You see, nobody can copy the acronym. Well, they can, but it would be a bit daft. And um, the C is cure nounitis, which is the overuse of nouns, particularly abstract nouns. And then the O, which I'll say a little bit more about, is omit needless words. And that's how we write concisely. And then the uh, the first T is trust plain English, which is neither slang nor formal. It's in the middle of our register. And then the second T of Scott is turn your passives into actives. So turn your passive voice into the active voice. And those are the five drafting techniques. And I'll just say a few words about the O, omit needless words. Now, Sadly, I didn't invent this. You'll probably be familiar with the book uh, and your listeners may be as well. A brilliant book. Um, if you're, anybody who's serious about writing needs to, to own this book. It was written in 1919. It's called The Elements of Style, affectionately referred to as Strunk and White, because it was written by uh, the Cornell Professor of English, uh, William Strunk. And one of his students, Elwyn Brooks White, E.B. White, who wrote Charlotte's Web and Stuart Little. And together they, they wrote this gem of a book and obviously it sold over a million copies, it's incredible. It's a real success story. It's a gem of, it's a tiny book. And I think technique number 17 is omit needless words because when we omit words that add no value, content, meaning or information, we tighten our writing up. It's like a piece of meat that's been vacuum sealed. There's no hot air. There's no bullshit. There's no waffle. There's no fluff. And that's how we write concisely. And I'll, I'll share with your listeners the single most common example of needless words that I come across anyway. So here's an example. We might say, um, Deborah went abroad in order to further her career. But we could just say Deborah went abroad to further her career. Mm -hmm. So those two little words in order add no value, content, meaning or information, and we can get rid of them. We can remove them. We can slay them, put them to the sword. And, and when we do that, you know, throughout our writing, we are going to inevitably end up writing concisely. There's, as, as I'm kind of, 
thinking about this from my my end uh, my team and i run a couple different uh, publications and when we are looking to fit content that's submitted to us into into a design or into yeah. a layout we start cutting from the bottom up mm. there's just something i was trained to do when i was mm. a, a journalist is mm. cut from the bottom up same with press releases you know you know with, mm. with digital features you have nothing but uh, there's no such mm. thing as constraints but in print mm. you you're constrained by inches and you're just taught whatever is at the end is the least important thing so mm. if your hook or the most mm. important thing is at the end of this mm. it bears a chance that this may mm. get cut and that's and, really yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah. and also reflecting back to what you said earlier which is if a reader is not giving it a hundred percent of their attention throughout, mm. I mm. can certainly guarantee that the middle is where they give the least attention mm. and that mm. probably cool. the, the peaks of attention are, might be at the beginning and then mm. maybe again at the end. Mm. And then you yeah. have this kind of bell curve, mm. uh, reverse cool. bell curve in the middle yeah. of, of their yeah. attention. If that's where you're burying the meat mm. of what you that's want to right. talk about. Yeah, exactly. You're losing yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And that's why structure is vital. And that's why whatever we're writing, we need to lead with what most matters to the reader, get to the value fast, you know, cut to the chase. Because, you know, if, if you take an example of, I mentioned that I do a lot of work in bids and tenders and proposals. And, um, you know, particularly in public sector proposals, if you give the evaluator the answer they're looking for right up front and you signal clearly to them that the your workings out and the detail the detailed information is is at the back of the the answer they may be they may be happy enough and satisfied enough with your initial answer to to avoid, you know, evaluate your your answer and give you full marks in the knowledge that if they need to to dive into the detail at the back of the answer and then they can do so or in the appendices but if we don't nail the answer right off the bat up front then um yeah they're going to strike us out mm -hmm. yeah what advice would you give like and this leads into essentially you have three pillars the planning the drafting the editing mm -hmm. as listeners are starting to craft new copy mm -hmm. what uh, what uh, advice do you give so that they're understanding that is this copy improving or mm -hmm. what needs to be adjusted so thus how can how can listeners become better attuned to actually editing their copy? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So a great question. And that takes us on to the five editing techniques, um, which are for which the acronym is STRAP. And that stands for score your readability. Um, I don't know whether you're familiar with the readability statistics in Word, uh, but there's a function in every version of Word that allows you to score uh, objectively and as a percentage the readability of your writing mm. uh, the, uh, very very useful based on the work of an amazing man called Dr Rudolf Flesch and that's why it's called the Flesch Reading Ease Score the FRE um, and so that's the S score your readability so you you can track if you're uh, if you're a writer or a copywriter you can track the sheer mechanical readability of your writing now it only scores the readability of it. It doesn't assess the quality of your content. 
Mm-hmm. So you could be re- writing complete and utter rubbish, but you will only know that it's readable rubbish. You know that. So that we can, yeah, we can we can get through it. Exactly. Yeah. And then the the T is test for structure, because even though structure is predominantly a planning technique, it remains so important throughout the writing process that we need to we need to make sure that when we're editing, that it still hangs together, that it still has what I call a kind of internal coherence. So that's the T of strap. And then the R is one of my favorite techniques. Um, much used by professionals and much neglected by amateur writers. And that is ROL, which stands for Read Your Writing Out Loud. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it is an elegantly simple and beautifully effective uh, way of checking your writing. Not as checking what you've written, but checking and assessing the tone of voice of your writing. And and by read it out loud, I'm, I mean literally reading it out loud. So if somebody was in a room with you, in the room with you, they could hear it as audibly as, as you can. Yeah. Uh, it slows us down. Mm-hmm. It forces to it forces us to say every single word out loud. So it's a great editing technique, but it also it enables us, it allows us to hear how the writing is going to sound to our reader and make them feel, which is my definition of tone of voice. And so it's a wonderful technique. That, that's the R of strap. And then the A is ask someone else to read it. Somebody maybe who's uninvolved or unfamiliar with the content uh, to sense check it from a lay or non-technical perspective. And then the P of strap is the very last thing we do, which is proofread. And what would be the difference between reading it yourself versus proofreading? How do you differentiate those two? Sure. Okay. So my my advice is as writers, we need to to speak more when we're writing. So, you know, when I'm I luckily I have my own office, I work from home, but I you know, you can see it behind me. You know, when I'm drafting copy, when I'm writing anything, I will literally, if I'm if I'm struggling, I will say out loud, Scott, what, you know, what are you trying to say here? What, what, do you, what do you really mean here? And I answer my own question out loud. And I know most writers do that. There's something very powerful about verbalizing and vocalizing what's inside us. So that that is something I do throughout the process. Proofreading is different. Proofreading is the very last thing you do, and it's to banish any and every typo, typographical errors. Mm. So it may be spelling mistakes. It may be double punctuation marks. It may be double spaces. It may be instances where numbers have strangely inserted themselves into the middle of words. I've seen that happen. And so it is making sure that, that your copy has not a single typo is tight ty- a typo free zone yeah no, no, no. does that help clarify yeah, the difference it does yeah it does yeah it's it, it's interesting i love uh, and it's something that i do which is reading copy out loud because mm. it can help refine the language i'm using based off mm. how i want to i want something to sound i'm going to mm. add inflection in certain areas yeah. and i'm going to change my my cadence in other areas mm. and thus that's if that's not clear in the in mm. my word choice and in, mm. in in how i'm organized my sentences then i have to shift things around and oftentimes i will my poor wife knows this i'm like <laughs> 
Mm. Let me read you my article. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have the same problem. Yeah. <laughs> my, my wife runs for the hills. Yeah. 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 She's just like it, my wife. My wife calls it smelling my own farts. Is what she calls yeah. it. She's like, how's that smell over there? I'm like, I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm waffling at it. It's it's great. Yeah. Um, and 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 just to build on that, James, it's also about making sure that that we as writers sound like us, so that your copy mm-hmm. sounds like James and my copy sounds like Scott rather than some kind of corporate drone who doesn't really belong anywhere, you know. I'm curious your thoughts on that, because as a writer, uh, over time, uh, there was a a voice that mm-hmm. that was sort of, uh, one, discovered, but also created a little bit, I think, of both. And I work as a photographer, and, and really, my voice is, is how I curate and, 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 and design my visual images. Um, what What are your thoughts on how a writer, I guess, knows that they're that they're getting closer to that voice mm-hmm. over time? Is it just is it just number of words that that they that they put on paper? I, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Sure, it's um, it's a really interesting and you use a very interesting word a couple of minutes ago which is cadence i'm fascinated by the the whole issue of rhythm and musicality and cadence in writing um i mean obviously this you know in something like poetry poetry emphasizes the need for musicality and rhythm uh, generally most most poetry but i believe that even when we're writing prose, we can, in fact, and must be aware of the cadence and the rhythm of our writing. And I think each of us has our own particular signature rhythm, musicality, sound. And the way we tap into that is by, is by going back to what we we're saying, reading our writing out loud and listening to it. And then saying, you will know intuitively, does that sound like me? You know, does that sound like Scott? Does that sound like James or or whoever? You will you will know when it's off and when it's on, when it's on, you know, when you're hitting perfect, perfect pitch. And um and I discovered the importance of voice in one of my workshops a couple of years ago, just a very brief story. So I ran a workshop for some uh, graduates in a consulting firm in London, very bright, well-educated people. And um, in the afternoon of the workshop, I set, I set them an exercise to do, which was basically to, to draft a blog. In fact, it was anything that they wanted, really, but it had to be their writing. And they could either draft something, they could originate something, or they could rewrite something they'd already written. And there was a girl called Debbie in the front row who was um, drafting a blog or trying to draft a blog, an article. And it was quite technical and she was evidently struggling. And I went up to her and I said, Debbie, are you okay? And she said, no, I'm really not. I just can't find the right words. And her face was the picture of frustration. She was really flushed and flustered and, and kind of at the end of her tether. And I just said, well, what are you what are you trying to say and and tell me explain it to me as if i was your mum or your dad or your brother or your sister or your significant other or whatever and just 
in very simple terms. And she said, well, Scott, what I really mean is da 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 And it was just perfect. It wasn't perfect, but it was much better than what she'd originally written. I said, write that, that's your first draft. Mm-hmm. And she went away and she did that. And she produced a really fine piece of writing. And she'd she'd kind of given herself permission to to access and use her own voice because it because her writing then sounded like her it sounded like debbie it didn't sound like anybody else i think the the word that i took away so much from that was the word permission Hmm. and i I think we're we're afraid to give ourselves that permission to to allow our voice to come out for fear that Oh, maybe it's not professional enough, mm. or yeah, you know, it's not, it's not glossy enough, and yeah. and really, it's what we as writers, or excuse me, it's what we as readers are looking mm. for. Yeah, absolutely, totally. Voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I I said the other day to someone I can't remember who. For me, there are three elements of great writing, particularly in business. What one is content? You know, I can't help you with your content. Your content. If you're the ex, if you're an expert in your field, you need to produce robust intellectually rigorous world-class content mm-hmm. it's got to start with great content and then the second element of great writing is content is clarity it's so clear that no matter how technical it is your reader gets it in one go in one reading and then the third and final element for me is the real missing link which is exactly what you just said uh, which is its personality it's writing with your voice with personality such that the writer's authorial voice comes through their words. Yeah, that that resonates with me very, mm-hmm. very, very much. Um, what I love about doing these shows is, selfishly, I just get to take notes and learn as, as, <laughs> as a forever student. And it's yeah. it's fun because I don't script questions beforehand. I just ask mm-hmm. what I'm curious about and mm-hmm. just intuitively assume that's what my my audience is also uh, mm-hmm. wondering. Um, and I get to look down and realize I've just taken pages, mm-hmm. literally pages of notes from this. So my my sincere thanks to oh, you sure. for, for sharing so many, so many insights. Uh, where can thank you? Where can listeners go to connect with you to learn more about the work that you're doing? Perhaps sure. check out your workshops so so that they can really put this into practice. Yeah, I'm um, at the moment. I'm only delivering corporate in-house workshops, but uh, later in the year, I am going to be creating an online program. Uh, which will obviously be accessible to individuals. And um, uh, so that that's a few months away. But in the meantime, I'd love people to connect with me on LinkedIn. If they just put Scott Keyser, K-E-Y-S-E-R, uh, the writing guy in the... Looks like we had just a bit of a internet connection issue but Scott, if you're still with us, I dropped your LinkedIn handle uh, into our video display for those searching on LinkedIn. It is Scott Keyser, K-E-Y-S-E-R, and then the number one, Scott Keyser one. So I did put that in there. Um, and his URL, if you did want to check out his website, it is right for results.com right for results.com um he is also on twitter at scott keezer 
So I'll put that in the notes there as well. S-C-O-T-T-K-E-Y-S-E-R, Scott Kieser. Uh, and then he is also on Facebook. We'll drop that in as well. Scott, the writing guy is his Facebook handle. Scott, the writing guy. Um, it, it, and I'll just say it again. It is absolutely so amazing to be able to connect with experts and professionals in their field uh, to to dive through this and legitimately pages of notes that I was able to take from this. Um, and I think to to give a recap, it's we are trying to write, and I saw this back in my, uh, you know, when I was working in marketing, which is so many of the people I was working with, they were trying to write to sound more impressive or to sound more professional or to sound more knowledgeable to their, to their target audience. And what it ended up becoming was this very sanitized uh, copy that was hard to get through, not really interesting, pretty boring. And I also love what he said that, you know, so much of our copy, it has implicit egotism. Um, that we're focused so much on ourselves. This is my background. This is what I do. This is my expertise and my experience. Um, these are all the amazing things that that uh, that I want you to know about me. And what we're not doing is focusing on the reader and making the reader who this is for, who this is for, the end reader, uh, the the focus and the center of of this of this narrative what is their pain what motivates them let's engage them let's then motivate them um we we talked about the so what factor and then we dove into really these three pillars of how you plan out your writing how you draft your writing and then how you edit your writing so absolutely massive thanks goes out to scott for being a part of this episode um Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we appreciate your reviews on the Apple Podcast app, and we will talk to you all in the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond the Image podcast. Please follow, like, and review wherever you happen to listen to the show. And if you want to connect to me, you can find me at jamespatrick.com, Instagram at jpatrickphoto, or you can text me any of your marketing questions to 480-605-3254. Thanks again.